We are concluding a series this morning entitled Bible Words, going through some of the lesser known words of the Bible, Bible words that you may be able to pronounce, you may be used to, like you read your Bible and you think, well, I'm familiar with that word, but then when it comes down to what does it mean, and you go, well, uh, I don't know. Well, that's this series has been really helpful to me in coming through and saying, let's just delve into this a little bit deeper. Let's find out what these words mean so we can apply them to our life. And the beauty of this, as we go along in our life, we learn something new. We take a step of faith. We grow and develop in our relationship with God. And as time goes on, we make small daily steps of obedience. Before long, you look back and think, I could never imagine my life back here ever again and it didn't take one huge leap it was just small daily steps of obedience god what do you have for me today our life and our world is filled with worry and unknowns there's far more things in this world that i don't know than i do know i want you to think about that for a moment There's more things in this world that you don't know than you do know. But what we do know is powerful. I was listening to Vision Radio uh, yesterday, and one of the the people was, was quoting someone else. So I'm quoting someone that's quoting someone. They were talking about worry, and they made this statement. Worry is like sitting on a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. I don't want to live my life filled with worry, but at the same time, there's so many uncertainties in my life and in your life also. Life is certainly hard, and we can admit that life is like a battle, that we are fighting through the battle of life. And some of you are seemingly doing well, and others of us are seemingly really struggling in the battle of life. The image I want you to have in your mind right now is of a boxing ring. And I'm by no means a boxer, but I'm familiar with in the boxing ring, you have your corner. And in your corner, you have what's referred to as your corner men. You have a trainer and you have the guy that holds the spit bucket. You you have the person that that has cuts. He he takes care of the cuts and stops them bleeding. And you have the, the man in the corner or the woman in the corner shouting and screaming instructions to you as encouragements. You know, go left, go right, duck. And they're giving you instructions because they're in your corner well in the battle of our life we have a number of people in our corner behind us we have some people in the crowd like our church family they're in the crowd cheering us on but then we have some people that are specifically in our corner and we have the holy spirit we have god the father and we also have god the son we have the entire trinity that is standing in our corner there alongside us you know all three members of the trinity are actively involved in our salvation god the father he's the one that does the forgiving He's a creator and the forgiver of us. We have Jesus Christ who comes along and he provided the sacrifice for our sins. And he lived a perfect life on earth and died a cruel death on the cross, rose triumphantly from the grave. And he covered and made the payment for our sins that we could never do on our own. The Holy Spirit comes along and seals our salvation and makes our salvation secure. And not for one moment of one millisecond,
second of, of eternity has God ever wavered from that. He's standing in our corner. And through this series, we've been talking about salvation. We've been talking about a number of things about justification. We talked about adoption. We talked about inspiration of Scripture. We talked about edification, which is the building up. We talked about sanctification, which is a, 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 a being set apart in our salvation for, for good works. We've talked about being redeemed, which is being freedom by, by, the, by being something being paid on our behalf. Last week, we talked about the looking forward to glorification, which is freed from the presence of sin in our body and our soul. And this morning, we're talking about intercession. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7. We'll be there in just a few moments' time. Hebrews, chapter number 7. Intercession is a word and a definition by the biblical definition. It's on the screen for you. It's on your bulletin as well. Jesus Christ's ministry on behalf of believers, mediating for them before God the Father. Jesus' ministry on behalf of believers, mediating or being a go-between between us and God the Father. Our principle for today is this. Jesus is talking to God about me. I want you to stop and think about that just for a moment. Jesus is talking to God about you. And the reason why I said about me is because I want you to personalize that. It's not just me talking and saying, Jesus is talking to God only about me. He's about you and us collectively as believers in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus is talking about you before God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's interceding between us and God the Father at this very moment. Hebrews chapter number 7, verse 25 says, Consequently, and we'll look at the, the previous verses in a few minutes' time, Consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We find in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, that the Holy Spirit also makes intercession for us. And He helps us. Romans chapter number 8, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes, or is a go-between, a mediator for us with groanings too deep for words. And and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. And here the last line is the real key. According to the will of God. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us pray when we don't know what to pray, so we can know and do the will of God. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Jesus Christ at this very moment is interceding for us. And our real focus this morning, looking at, Hebrews chapter number 7 is going to be talking about Jesus Christ and his intercession on our behalf. We have three points this morning. They are, the, we have complete, complete salvation, complete access, and complete freedom in Jesus Christ. So let's delve straight into this and look at that first point this morning, complete salvation. We see, and we're going we're gonna to use Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 is our outline verse this morning. And we're going to find our three points in this very verse. It begins with, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. That word uttermost 
If you study it out, it literally means fully, completely, entirely. So you think about a word that means absolutely, completely. There's nothing missing. He's able to save absolutely, completely, entirely, fully, to the uttermost. There's a lot of jobs that I have around my house. And my wife is upstairs with the kids in the kids' ministry right now, so she can't hear me saying this and admitting this publicly. But there's a lot of jobs around the house that are a quarter done. And maybe you can relate to that a little bit. And I have a disease. It's actually it's a physical disease. It's been diagnosed. It's called someday-itis. And with someday-itis, it's someday I'm going to complete that job. Someday it's going to be finished. And I have no problem starting the job. I have no problem planning to do the job. It's just completing it's a little more difficult. What we find with our salvation is that Jesus Christ has completed it fully. He does not suffer from someday-itis like I do. He is completely, entirely has our salvation secure. And we have the question, maybe you've asked this question of of yourself. Where is Jesus right now? Because we find in Scripture that Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. He lived on on, on earth for 40 days. And the Bible says in the Gospels that he ascended up into heaven. But where is he now? What is he doing right now? Well, the, the book of Mark says... In verse number 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he's spoken to them, is ascended. He was taken up into heaven. He ascended up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Heaven, to give you a very broad definition, is where God dwells and where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the God the Father. So at this very moment, Jesus Christ, now, This is opposite for you because you're looking at me, but this is the right side. If the Father's here, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing at this moment? He's physically at the right hand of God the Father, right next to him. And the next question is, what is Jesus doing right now? There's several things that we find. To give you a quick, brief overview we find, first of all, that Jesus is reigning at this very moment. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1, verse number 3, it says, He is the radiance, it's on the screen, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And here's the key. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. At this very moment, Jesus is reigning and he is upholding the universe by his very words. And so what we find here is all three members of the Trinity were involved in our creation. And we find all three members are involved in our sustaining of our world and universe. Something I find as a side, something I find remarkable is learning about science and astronomy and watching different videos about how big Earth is compared to other planets and how big our sun is compared to Earth. 
and then how big our sun is compared to other stars. And in reality, we're a tiny little pinprick in compared to the huge stars in our universe. And all these things, and we as humans begin to learn and discover them, and we go, wow, that's amazing. And God says, yes, I've, I've had it going on for all eternity. I've been holding it since creation. We find also that Jesus at this very moment is not just reigning, he's also preparing heaven. In the book of John, chapter number 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be leaving you. But if I'm going to leave you, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And it says in John, chapter 14, verse 2, in the underline on the screen, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. He is preparing heaven at this very moment for, the, for us believers. The third thing we find is he is interceding for us at this very moment. So Jesus, at this very moment, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's reigning and holding the universe in, in, its, in its systems. He is preparing heaven at this very moment for, for believers. And then third is he's having a conversation with God constantly about you and me. He's interceding on our behalf. That intercession gives us some security. Because we understand that we are saved to the uttermost. We have security in God's hand. Jesus was teaching his disciples about that security that we hold. And he uses, to me, one of the greatest examples he could possibly have given. And he says in the book of John, chapter number 10, verse 28 through 30, it says, I, this is Jesus talking, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. We are secure being held in Jesus' hand. And he goes on and he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand out of the Father's hand. And he goes, I and my Father are one. And the, the picture I see there is that you say, you're secure because you're in Jesus' hand. And if that's not good enough for you, we are also in God the Father's hand. And that gives us incredible security. And Jesus is constantly talking to God about you and me and about our salvation. And not that God needs to be reminded, but he's constantly talking to God about they're ours. They're secure in our hand. That gives us security because we live in a world that is a scary world. And we often don't recognize or we don't physically see the spiritual side of this world. But Peter gives us a, a real sobering example of how scary things are in our world. And he uses the example of a lion in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Now, I saw this YouTube video, and it was in Africa. Okay, this is not in my notes. This is just bonus material. There was a man in, and I don't know what country in Africa he was in, that was in a hut in the bush of Africa. And outside was a male lion that knew he was in there and was not happy about him being there and was sitting outside of his little hut, and the hut had barbed wire 
not barbed wire, chicken wire, chicken wire windows over the front. So it was very secure. And outside was this lion who was roaring, coming right up to the chicken wire and roaring. And this man was backed up against the back of the wall. And with my headphones on, the roar was deep. And it reminded me of this verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And when you recognize we live in a world that is a scary world, we live in a world where Satan is real and he does not have your best interest in mind. He does not want society to turn to God. And we understand that we are secure in the hand of God. At this very moment, we have a complete salvation. We also have, because of that complete salvation, we have complete access to God through Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, go back to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7. It begins in verse 23, giving an example of a high priest, as in a Jewish high priest, versus Jesus Christ being our great high priest. And the example it gives there isn't talking derogatory about the high, the, the, the high priest of the Jewish sacrificial system. What he was saying is how much better Jesus is than the high priests. And it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That is Jesus. We have complete access through Jesus Christ. We're going to contrast the high priest versus the great high priest, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28 to you. And then as we go through it, and then we're going to go back through it and look at some contrasts. Let me read those verses to you. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Continues on in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need. Like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. goes on in verse 28. For the law appoints men in their wickedness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's look at that contrast real quickly between a Jewish high priest. And on the screen, there should be a picture of, a, of, a, of, a, of the Jewish high priest. And you have a, a person there who was set aside. And in the system there, you had the tribe of Israel named the tribe of Levi, which were a special tribe set aside just 
to be the priestly tribe representing the people before God. Let me give you a definition of a priest. A priest is a go-between between a person and God. It's one who represents a person before God. I am not a priest. I am a pastor, and a pastor is different than a priest because a pastor is a, is a guide, is a shepherd. We lead people along, but we're not a priest. Uh, my prayers are no more powerful than any other person. I do not give you access to God. We have, you have access directly to God through Jesus Christ because He is our priest. And the priest would, would have the, the entire tribe of Levi, and they would have particular men that were of a certain age that would be qualified to become priests. And from those priests, they would elect a high priest. And the daily duties of the temple were performed by the priests. And there was a many, many duties that were performed. And there was a, a system where they would have like a ballot system where you would have, you would, you would be, in a sense, pulled out of a hat and you would say, now I get to offer the incense for today. And every day they would go in and out of the temple and there'd be various sacrifices that would take place. But once a year there was what's referred to as the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would go and he would make special provision and uh, sacrifice to cover his own sins. And he would make sure that his, his priestly garments were absolutely perfectly clean and pure and everything he had done, well, he was not unclean in any way. And he would take the the sacrifice, and he would go through what's referred to as the holy place. In fact, there's another picture on the screen. Uh, the, the holy place, and, and you go through, into the, through the holy place, in past a, a large curtain, into the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, you would have the mercy seat. And inside the mercy seat, you would have the Ten Commandments. And on top of the mercy seat, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat, which represent the covering of the people of the sins of God for one year. And then they would exit and then people would go. And then after a, the next year, they'd come back and do it all over again. And every day, these priests were purifying themselves, making themselves set apart and then what we see here is, first of all, we see the, the priests were temporal, where Jesus Christ is eternal. Verses 23 and 24 says, The former priests were many in numbers, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. It's a real practical way of saying the priests would get old and they would die. And then you would have a new generation that come up and they would get old and they would die. And there'll be a new set of priests all the time. But here we don't look for a new high priest in Jesus Christ because he's eternal. We also see the difference between being sinful and sinless. Verses 27 and 28 talk about this. What we see is every single day they would, these priests would need to go and take in a sacrifice to cover their own sins before they were able to represent themselves or represent the people before God. They, in order to be a go-between, had to continually purify themselves. And what we find in contrast 
is that Jesus Christ had to do that once. He only had to die on the cross one time. It goes on and says in verse number 20, the, um, the, the end of verse 27, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This gives us confidence that we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. We have complete access. Now you may be thinking to yourself, when we pray, sometimes we, 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 we pray and we say, you know, Holy Spirit, or, or we pray to Jesus. And I don't discount those prayers, but what we find in Scripture and what is encouraged by Jesus is that Jesus says, when you pray, you can pray directly to God the Father through me. Jesus says that a number of times. He says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be to the Father, it will be granted to you. So therefore, by a little bit of tradition, but it's also, I think, it's a positive and good tradition, when we pray, we pray directly to God the Father. Sometimes we say, dear Heavenly Father, or dear God, and we, we, we pray, at the end of our prayers, we'll say, in Jesus' name, Amen. And what we're doing is reminding ourselves that we are praying directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ, who is right this very moment, seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. In other words, and this is a, not a, this is a very incomplete example, okay? because we know that God doesn't forget anything. But in a very real way, God's saying, who's this person praying to me? Jesus says, they're praying through me. I'm giving them access because uh, we've saved them. Now, obviously, God doesn't forget those things, but that's what we see. God, we have access directly to God through Jesus Christ. Verse Hebrews chapter number four. There's a couple chapters earlier. Verses 14 and 16 says, Since we have a great high priest, who, as Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Go down to verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a complete salvation through Jesus Christ. We have complete access to God through Jesus Christ. We also have from that complete freedom. Christ is today at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on my behalf and your behalf, presenting us to the Father, Father, interceding. And this is his ministry. His ministry and his mission is that of you are not condemned. And something we find really beautiful in Scripture that we often need to be reminded Going back to the very beginning of my introduction, I said we live in a world that's filled with worry, that's filled with uncertainty, and we cannot do this life on our own. So therefore, we need this complete freedom through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 again. The last part of this verse says, He always lives to make intercession for them. He's constantly declaring you and I, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, He's declaring us not guilty. There's another passage in the Bible, Romans chapter number 8. 
In a moment, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of that because I was trying to break it down into something shorter than I realized the Bible says it much more concisely and better than I can say it. So we're going to see the fact that we are declared not guilty in Romans chapter number 8, verses 31 through 39. I'm going to try to read it with some enthusiasm as I read it, okay? But follow along with some enthusiastic eyes. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, here's the question, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's another question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to condemn you? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, another question. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Another question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, you, for your sake, you, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So in ourselves, we are absolutely weak and hopeless. But we're not the one that, whose strength we're relying on. He goes on in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I like the way that the Apostle Paul wrote that. He goes, basically, everything I could possibly think of will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, we have a complete salvation. We have complete access, but we also have complete freedom. We're declared not guilty. That prayer that Jesus is praying on our behalf, the Bible doesn't specifically give us an understanding of what Jesus is specifically saying. But we do see in the book of John, chapter number 7, what's referred to commonly as Jesus' high priestly prayer. What Jesus prayed to God the Father about you and me right before he went to the cross. We see in verse number 11 that Jesus prayed for unity. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus prayed for the unity of believers, that we will work together. One of the greatest and greatest gifts we can give Satan, I'm carefully saying that, one of the greatest gifts we can give Satan is disunity within our church. Next Sunday, we are returning to our series that we're going through during the school holidays. And it's through the book of Galatians. And the series title is called Together. Because what we're discovering through that book is how we are brought together, not through our mutual, um, in, uh, mutual 
Now, we have the same hobbies in mind, or we have the same sports teams, or the same skin color, or same nationality. What we have in common is Jesus Christ, and that from that brings unity. Jesus Christ prayed for unity. He also prayed that we would have joy. Now, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness goes up and down. It's kind of cloudy outside. I'm not that happy. But joy is something deep and intrinsic within us. And Jesus prayed that in verse number 13. It says that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Not circumstantial happiness, but the joy of Jesus Christ. And also, Jesus prays for our holiness. He prays that we will be separated from our sinful world around us and live different lives. He says in verse number 15 and also in verse number 17, talking about our holiness. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, take all the Christians and make them live totally separate from the evil world around us, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then Jesus goes on in verse 17, sanctify them or set them apart for something special in the truth. And where do we find that truth? It's not in my opinion. It's not in the world around us. It says, thy word is truth. We find that truth in the word of God. We cannot live in unity and in joy and in holiness in our own strength and our own power. We must do that through Jesus Christ. We've seen this morning a scratching of the surface with intercession, that we can have a complete salvation, we have complete access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, and we have complete freedom as we are declared not guilty. And Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for our unity. He's praying for our joy. He's praying for your holiness. But you know what we can do as, as a response to that? Is to be able to take that and say, God, I have direct access to you through Jesus Christ. Now I can begin to pray for others. Let me challenge you as a response. Because we hear things like Jesus is praying for us and he's talking to God on our behalf and it can build us up and fill us with pride. Or we can turn that around and we can say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to begin praying for others. As God brings other people to your mind this week and even at this very moment, will you take some time and pray for them? Will you take them directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ? Rather than thinking, well, I'll do that later, like the someday-itis that I suffer from, do that immediately. I've discovered that God brings seemingly random people to my mind at exactly the right moment. I think to myself, why was I thinking about them? So my encouragement to you is, as God brings people to your mind, respond quickly with prayer. Pray for their, their unity. Pray for their joy. Pray for their holiness. Pray for people's salvation. As God brings people to your mind this week, think of our youth that are going to camp next week. Think of our leaders and their resilience. And pray and, and ask God to work in the way that only God can work. And imagine the impact that we can have through Jesus Christ if we simply, as a small group of people that are here today, begin to live life as an intercession, as a, as a go-between, saying, I'm going to pray on your behalf before God. Imagine the impact that can take place. In the book of Romans, chapter number 15, verse 30, I'm going to close with this. The Apostle Paul is asking 
others to pray for him. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me. How? In your prayers to God on my behalf. Jesus is talking to God about me. He challenged you to talk to, to God about others. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? And as I pray, God's brought someone to your mind. So don't, take, don't miss this opportunity. My challenge to you is to spend some time for yourself in prayer, praying for yourself and praying for others. Let's